Good to see you. Welcome back to my little living room. Here we are one more time in my house talking about um, Rattle and Ezekiel. And uh, as you can tell, we have not yet figured out live streaming on YouTube with our new equipment. Our guys are working super hard. I promise you they are <laughs> they are working incredible hours and incredible difficulty to make all of these things work and they are going to figure it out. It's just not happening as fast as we would all like. So you're stuck here with me in this little living room and we're going to continue to talk about our friend Ezekiel. Man, Ezekiel, <laughs> I feel bad for Ezekiel. We're going to talk about his life here in just a minute, but talk about a dude who had to come to some grips with Sometimes God will ask you to do things you don't understand. Sometimes God will take you to places that you don't want to be. And sometimes the, the message that God gives you for the people is not going to be received. This was the life of Ezekiel. What we're doing in this series is trying to answer the question, how do God's people respond when the world gets turned upside down? There's something in you that probably knows just... There's something inside your soul that probably is just telling you and informing your brain that as a God follower, as a Jesus follower, the way you respond to different things in the world should look different than people who don't know God, right? I mean, shouldn't it? Shouldn't myself as a Jesus follower, shouldn't you, hopefully you're a Jesus follower, shouldn't the way you treat, like, take for example, your waiter or waitress at a restaurant, Remember restaurants when you used to go in and you could sit down at a table and someone would bring you food? Shouldn't the way you talk to that person who's doing that, shouldn't the way you tip them, shouldn't the way you treat them look differently than somebody who doesn't know who Jesus is or doesn't follow him? Shouldn't the way you and I as Jesus followers, shouldn't the way we treat our family, the words we use, the, the affection we show, shouldn't the way we interact with our family look different than someone who doesn't know Jesus? Shouldn't the things we put on Facebook and Instagram and out there in the world for the whole world to see on the internet, shouldn't those things look and sound different than people who don't know Jesus? I think the, sad, the saddest thing is for me is that a lot of times you can't tell the difference in our culture between the Jesus followers and everyone else. And I think that grieves God's heart. And so we are trying to answer this question with, with as much integrity and authenticity as we can. What do we do as God's people when the world gets turned upside down, when 2020 shines a giant spotlight on all of human experience, all of our pain and confusion and crisis and grief and loss and sickness, when we experience those things as Jesus followers, how do we respond in a way that is different from people who don't know God? Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is a pretty strong instruction. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing, and perfect. As a pastor, many times people ask me, how do I know what God wants for my life? How do I know what God's will for my life is? And you could just turn right to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. If you want to know God's will, 
then you have to stop copying the behavior and customs of the world. You have to respond differently when the world gets turned upside down. You have to speak differently. You have to behave differently. You have to treat people differently than people who don't know God. And when you start to do that, you will begin to understand and, ve- and see very clearly his will for your life. Listen to what Peter said in his, in his first little letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Let's not misunderstand that word holy. It can mean a lot of different things. But in this context, the context that Peter is using it, it means to be set apart. It means to be different. It literally means you, as a God-loving person, are different than someone who does not know God. You, as a Jesus follower, are to behave and talk and think and choose attitudes that are different than people who don't know Jesus. What do you do when your world gets turned upside down? For me, great example is our guy Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a priest who in 597 BC was taken from his home in Jerusalem with about 10 to 12,000 other people from Jerusalem and transplanted 700 miles away um, in the capital city of Babylon. And once he got there, he started telling everybody the word of the Lord. He began to speak on God's behalf, and God gave him visions and words to say. And, and for some reason, they didn't listen. He, he kept saying, guys, look, if we don't do what we're supposed to do, our nation, our city, and our temple are going to be destroyed. And they just thought that was the dumbest thing they'd ever heard. They couldn't believe it, and they didn't believe it. And you know what happened in 586 BC, just nine years later? Those same people that kidnapped Ezekiel and 10,000 of his best friends marched back down to Jerusalem because they had rebelled. They took almost all the rest of the citizens and transplanted them back in Babylon, but they leveled the city. They destroyed the city wall and they took the temple, Solomon's temple. They took it down to its foundation stones and absolutely, totally obliterated it. It was gone forever. And when word that the temple had been destroyed got back to those exiles in in Babylon, it had to crush their hearts. And I know that they felt like there was was nothing left to live for. And in fact, they, they say that they had no hope and they were just cut off and they might as well just be dead. But into that situation, God sent Ezekiel and Ezekiel had a message and Uh, God showed Ezekiel some amazing things. You can read about them in his little book, Ezekiel. God asked Ezekiel to do some very weird things. Like God asked Ezekiel to lay down on one side in public for 390 days and then turn over on your other side for 40 days. And there's a message. You can read that for yourself. Um, Did you know that God asked Ezekiel? He commanded Ezekiel when Ezekiel's wife died. Ezekiel, sorry your wife is dead but you are not going to mourn her loss. 
You are not going to go through the traditional mourning process because I have a message that needs to get out to my people and your, lo your lack of mourning this loss is going to be a message. Wow. God also asked Ezekiel to shave his head as a sign of humility, not a bad look if I say so myself. God asked Ezekiel to do some things that didn't make sense, but he was trying to reach his people. He was trying to teach the people of Israel what to do when the world got turned upside down. And if you look at the book of Ezekiel, I challenge you to read it. From beginning to end, intermixed with all these weird visions and intermixed with all these weird things God is, is asking Ezekiel to do, there is a consistent message. In fact, it's the overarching message of the entire book. And it's a fascinating message. And we're going to see it as we look at the, 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 the vision of the dry bones. You're going to see it a couple times. The overarching message in the book of Ezekiel is this. Something will happen, or you will do something, and then you will know Adonai, God. Something will occur, and then you'll know who God is. You'll choose to do something, you'll obey, and then you'll know who God is. God will send His Spirit, and then you'll know who He is. So what we're going to talk about today is we look at Ezekiel chapter 37. Um, by now, you've, you've probably got this half memorized. That's great. Uh, but I want to read it again because I don't want to miss a single detail from this vision that God gave Ezekiel in chapter 37. Ezekiel says, The hand of Adonai was on me, and he brought me out by his spirit and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the valley floor, bones that were very dry. He asked me, human being, can these bones live? And this is the first question we have to answer for ourselves. When the world gets turned upside down, we have to have an answer for this question. Can these bones live? Can God make dead things live? Do you believe that God can make things right? You have to have an answer for that in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, and you have to hold on to that answer. Ezekiel's answer was, Adonai Elohim, you alone know. And that's the second thing we have to hold on to when the world gets turned upside down, is that God knows. We have to trust that God knows how to make things right. Whatever your situation is, whether it's a, a marriage or a relationship or a financial situation, um, just the whole 2020 scene, what, whatever it is in your life that has kind of flipped your world upside down, a grief, a loss, a sickness, a disease, you have to trust that God knows how to make it right. And not only does God know how to make it right, He knows when. And that might be the hardest thing to trust, that God has perfect timing, that he knows exactly when to make things right. When the world gets turned upside down, we have to just be able to trust that God knows how to flip it right back, uh, right back up, and God knows when to do that. Ezekiel continues, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of Adonai. And this is the next thing we have to do as God's people is learn to hear what he says. And what we said a few weeks ago was that hearing is bigger and, and more significant than just letting sound waves into your brain. That's kind of our understanding of hearing. But the biblical understanding of hearing is 
obedience. That not only do you hear with your ears, you hear with your hands, and you hear with your feet, and you hear with your mouth. In other words, if you're not obeying, you're not hearing. If you're not doing, you didn't listen. And so we must learn to be doers of God's word. When we learn to hear his voice, hear his word, and then do what he says, our world becomes right. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what Adonai Elohim says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. And this is what we talked about last week. That breath is the same word for spirit. That these bones could not live without the spirit. And that as God's people, when our world gets turned upside down, there comes a time when we just have to stop and go and breathe and let the very act of breathing in and out remind us that the spirit is with us, spirit and breath and wind, all the same word in the Old Testament. It's just a reminder um, that you and I, we are walking, talking, living, breathing fulfillments of Scripture. The prophecy in Ezekiel 37 was fulfilled in you and I when you chose to follow Jesus because he promised to put his spirit in us. And so sometimes we just have to listen to the Spirit. We have to ask the Spirit to guide our lives and give us direction and help us. Ezekiel continues, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. And then here's our statement. Then you will know that I am Adonai. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, human being, and say to it, this is what Adonai Elohim says, Come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life, stood up on their feet, and they were a vast army. Then he said to me, human being, these bones are the people of Israel. The people of Israel say, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what Adonai Elohim says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am Adonai when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, And you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, Adonai, have spoken, and I have done it, declares Adonai. How do God's people respond when the world gets turned upside down? The fifth thing we have to do is know Adonai. We have to know God. 
You probably have an intellectual idea of who God is, what God is. You are probably aware that there are people, I'm one of them, who believe with all of my heart that that there is this supreme, all-knowing, all-powerful entity called Adonai, Yahweh, um, there he is called so many things in the in the Bible, which we're going to look at in a later series. You you probably have an intellectual knowledge. Maybe you've read the Bible. Maybe you've seen some great theology on Facebook. Maybe you've you've seen some documentary on the television. Maybe you've watched a movie that was based on a biblical story. Most of us today in 2020, here in America at least, we have an intellectual idea. We have an intellectual knowledge that there is. God, or that some people believe in God. But this, this instruction from Ezekiel, or, or more accurately, this invitation from God to know him is so much bigger than just intellectually having a, an idea that there is a God. The word that, that Ezekiel used is yada. Yada, 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 if you're a Seinfeld fan. But this word yada is, is bigger than just intellectual knowledge. It is to perceive, it is learning, it is understanding, it is willing, it is performing. And I love the last idea. It is experiencing. To know is not to be intellectually informed. To know is to apprehend and experience reality. God has invited his people to not just intellectually have a thought about who he might be, but to experience him, to apprehend reality by experiencing God. This word yada is interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's used a lot in the Old Testament. It means to know. It also is the same word used any time in the Old Testament For instance, in the book of Genesis, when it says that Adam knew Eve, it's referring to Adam had a sexual relationship with Eve. There are often Abraham and his wife, um, Noah and his wife. The the word the Hebrew writer uses is yada, that person, yadas, that person. And it's bigger than just a sexual act. It is to experience that person. It is an intimate knowledge, almost literally to know a person from the inside out. And this is the invitation that the creator of the universe makes to you and me. This is, this is his intention from the beginning, that his people would know him, not just here, but here to experience him. To, to know God from the inside out is an incredible invitation that if you think about it, there, there is this all-powerful being who just in our understanding of who he is, which is vastly, in, it's just inferior on our knowledge of him. But what we do know of him is that this God can just speak words with his mouth and planets are formed, enormous, giant, raging balls of helium and nuclear-powered stars are set into place and gravity is created. And, you know, on our little world here, mountains are formed and rivers carve out and the seas are, and there's, there's animals. And then there's these human beings. And there's this God who just did all of that by speaking. And a God that powerful, he could choose to do anything he wants with his creation. 
He could choose to do anything he want with, wants with human beings, but he chose to, one, make us in his image so that we can reflect his likeness. That's amazing in itself. But then, two, his intention from the beginning was that his people would know him, not just know that he exists, but experience him. Know him inside and out. What an incredible invitation from a God way too powerful to stoop to our level and say, I want you to know me, and yet that's what he wants. He invites you to know him, experience him. And that is a lifelong journey to experience God. And then here's what's great. Here, here's what blows my mind. Along comes Jesus, who, who is the Son of God. And, and all through his ministry, Jesus says things like, hey, if you want to know what God is like, you just look at my life. If you want to know how God feels, just look at my life. If you want to know uh, the way God would treat you in a situation, just watch me treat you in that situation. So you can look at Jesus and see the heart of God. But Jesus invites us to take this whole knowledge of God to a whole different level. This, this whole thing, you know, God intends for his people to know him. He wants us to know him. But Jesus, as Jesus always does, he comes and he raises the bar even higher. And not only are we invited to know him, to know God, Jesus invites us to experience God as Father. Man, over and over in the Gospels, you see Jesus saying, your Father, your Father. And I love how, you know, the disciples asked Jesus one day, teach us how to pray, and here's how you should pray according to Jesus. Here's how you start. Our Father, our Father. In other words, Jesus is inviting you to consider his Father your Father. Jesus is inviting you uh, to form your thoughts about God, not as a distant, far-off entity, always looking to hurt you, always looking to trip you up, making you know check marks on, on your life, checking all the things you're doing, checking all the right boxes, and maybe you're not checking any boxes at all, or maybe you, you know, the other side of the page is you're doing everything wrong, and God's just keeping score, and that's how some of us think of God. But Jesus invites us to think of God as our Father. Is there anything more intimate than Father? I'm a granddad now, and um, all of you that told me that being a grandfather is better than being a father, gotta agree with you, it's fantastic. But one of my favorite things to do is to watch my son-in-law interact with my, son, uh, with my grandson. That little boy, when his father walks in the room, his face lights up, his activity stops, he runs to his dad, and they just wrestle, and they kiss each other, and they throw each other around, and it's violent, and it's intimate, and it's beautiful, and I love to watch it. There is an intimate relationship between my grandson and his father. That little boy trusts that big man with every fiber of his being. It is an intimate, personal, awesome relationship. Sometimes our relationship with our earthly father can distort the kind of relationship 
God as our perfect Father wants to have with us. But I just want you to know today, above all things, when your world gets turned upside down, there is a perfect Father who wants you to know Him. I'm going to close with this thought. Uh, It's not an original thought, but it's a profound thought. That if there's no God, there's no life. But when you know God, you know life. And that's what we want for you. That's what our church wants for you. That's what I want for you. I want you to know God in an intimate, personal way, like a child knows a good, perfect father. And that invitation that Jesus made for you to consider God your father is a is an eternal invitation. It's an invitation that some of you need to accept today. You need to choose today to take your intellectual knowledge of God and take it to another level by moving it from here to here and experiencing God just by saying to God, God, I want to experience you. I want to know you. Jesus offers salvation. And we'd love to visit with you about what that looks like and what that means. If you need help, uh, as soon as I'm done talking, we will put up a a phone number. You can call that right now. You can type into your your YouTube um, chat window and somebody will talk with you right now. The most important thing you could ever do with your life is follow Jesus and know God as Father. So that's my prayer for you. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that you have invited us to know you. Help us, God, to embrace that. Help us to set aside everything we need to set aside in our lives so that we can know you and know you more today than we did yesterday and more tomorrow than we do today. Thank you for sending us Jesus so that we could call you Father. We pray in his name. Amen.